welcome to podcast number 32 here at The Voice of the Arts with your host, yours truly, Joe Weber. I thought we'd begin the podcast with a poem written and read by Richard Wilbur. It's called Shame. Shame. It is a cramped little state with no foreign policy save to be thought inoffensive. The grammar of the language has never been fathomed owing to the national habit of allowing each sentence to trail off in confusion. Those who have visited Scusi, the capital city, report that the railway route from Shanda passes through country best described as unrelieved. Sheep are the national product. The faint inscription over the city gates may perhaps be rendered, I'm afraid you won't find much of interest here. Census reports which give the population as zero are of course not to be trusted, save as reflecting the natives' flustered insistence that they do not count, as well as their modest horror of letting one's sex be known in so many words. The uniform gray of the nondescript buildings, the absence of churches or comfort stations, have given observers an odd impression of ostentatious meanness. And it must be said of the citizens, muttering by in their ratty sheepskins, shying at cracks in the sidewalk, that they lack the peace of mind of the truly humble. The tenor of life is careful, even in the stiff, unsmiling carelessness of the border guards and douaniers, who admit, whenever they can, not merely the usual carloads of deodorant, but gypsies, g-strings, hashish, and contraband pigments. Their complete negligence is reserved, however, for the hoped-for invasion, at which time the happy people, sniggering, ruddily naked, and shamelessly drunk, will stun the foe by their overwhelming submission corrupt the generals, infiltrate the staff, usurp the throne, proclaim themselves to be sun gods, and bring about the collapse of the whole empire. How are you, Stan? How you doing, Wade? Good to see you again, Jerry. These numbers are right. This looks pretty sweet. Oh, those numbers are right, all right. Believe me. This is doable. Congratulations, Jerry. Yeah, thanks, Stan. Well, it's a pretty... What uh... kind of finder's fee are you looking for? Huh? The financials are pretty thorough, so the only thing we don't know is your fee. My fee? Wade, what the heck are you talking about? Stan and I are okay. Yeah? We're good to load in. Yeah? But we never talked about your fee for bringing it to us. No, but Wade, see, I was bringing you this deal for you to loan me the money to put in. It's my deal here, see? Jerry, we thought you were bringing us an investment. Yeah, right. You're saying, what are you saying? You're saying we put in all the money and you collect when it pays off. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'd, I'd, I'd pay you back the principal and interest. Heck, I'd, I'd go one over prime. We're not a bank, Jerry. If I want a bank interest on 750,000, I'd go to Midwest Federal, talk to old Bill Deal. He's at North Star. He's at... No, no, see, I, <laughs> I don't need a, a finder's fee, I need... Finder's fees, what, 10%? Heck, that's not going to do it for me. I need the principal. Well, Jerry, we're not going to just give you $750,000. What the heck were you thinking? If I'm only getting bank interest, I want complete security. Heck, FDIC. I don't see nothing like that here. Yeah, but I... I... Okay, I... I guarantee you your money back. I'm not talking about your damn word, Jerry. Jeez, what the heck are you... We're not a bank, Jerry. Well, look... I don't want to cut you out of the loop, but this here's a good deal. 
I assume if you're not interested, you won't mind if we move on it independently. And then he walks dejectedly back to his car, which is now sporting a layer of ice on the windshield. And he takes a plastic scraper to clear the ice. He moves his arms faster and faster and faster and then begins wildly hitting the windshield with the scraper. This is not Jerry Lundegaard's day, one of many days that goes the wrong way for Jerry Lundegaard. The Cohen brothers never tell us why Jerry Lundegaard needs the money, and I'm glad they didn't bother to explain. It would have just slowed the movie down and made the plot more unwieldy without adding anything. again I seem to feel that old yearning and I knew the spark of love was still burning there'll be no new romance for me it's foolish to start for that old feeling is still in my
Chet Baker doing the singing as well as the trumpet playing on That Old Feeling. Let's turn now to a very early comedy recording made by Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner when the two of them were in their late 30s or early 40s, and their main job was writing and acting in Sid Caesar's precursor to Saturday Night Live called Your Show of Shows. This particular routine is called In a Coffee House. In the past few years, a type of meeting place has grown up throughout the country, which is called a coffee house. There are many uninitiated people who have never been into a coffee house, I being one of them. On the walls surrounding this table are many, many paintings. And there's a gentleman sitting here with a palette, palette knife, some brushes, some oils, and I imagine that he is the gentleman who painted these paintings. Am I right, sir? That is correct in your assumption. <laughs> and the painting... Uh, you are totally correct. Uh, the paintings... And impeccably dressed, if I may say so. Thank you. Thank you very much. A lovely tie. Thank you. Gradually blending into the color of your suit. You are always interested in color and design. Color is my life. I am color. Your name is... Uh, what is your name, sir? Corinne Corfu. Uh, Corinne Corfu, uh, you are yes. Greek. I hope I am Greek. I would like to be Greek very much. Well, you're, that is a Greek name, and you have a Greek accent. Yes. Well, then perhaps I am. <laughs> well, don't you know your... Don't you know your derivation? No, I do not know uh, my derivation. Gypsies stole me as a child. <laughs> a band of gypsies. And you were brought up where? I was brought up in the Persian Gulf, right here in Miami. <laughs> You're not it's the La Persian Gulf. No, it's a gypsy tea house. The rest Sir, of it is called the Persian Gulf. I would like to talk to you about your paintings. Now, yes, you certainly may. It's my life. Color are, and art. I are, love <laughs> art. They are very unusual. I noticed that... God bless you for your perceptions. <laughs> I noticed one... You also... Uh, you sculpt, too, I noticed. There's Main, some... uh, sculpting and painting, all the arts. Uh, there is a, a metallic sculpture there that is very interesting. Yes, metal, metallic. What do you call that? It's just a series of wires uh, in a grid-like effect. What oh, do you, you mean above the door? Yes, what do you call yes, that? Yes, that's called the air conditioning. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. I did not uh, make that. No. Uh, uh, the Fetters, the Fetters company made, but it's very beautiful. Yes. Your paintings are very abstract, I noticed. Yes, but they don't blow air out. So, <laughs> like uh, the, the machines. No. May I ask you about some of the paintings? For yes, instance, you certainly may. That painting there that is entitled The Gull on a Hot Rock. Yes. Now, I don't see anything on that but a bunch of little specks. Yes, well, I saw the gull on a hot rock from over five miles away. <laughs> oh, I see. I was see. standing on a cliff. That's why I painted in the perspective, the three little dots. Now, uh, getting closer, sir, I'm, uh, may I examine a little more closely? Certainly, not too close. Yes. yes. Now, that is not paint those dots. They look like, that's, those are flies. Yes, sir. they are. They're flies. But you didn't paint that. Those are real flies. No, I took them, uh, caught them in my hand until the air was out of their bodies and they died. <laughs> and then I... Uh, you pasted them onto the... little dots of glue and put them on the dots and, and they represent the gull on the rocks. I had to kill them. If I had not killed them, if they were not dead and glued to my picture, <laughs> then I have no picture. <laughs> they fly away, I got nothing, Charlie. I see. When they die. Well, I excuse you. What are you sure. going to buy? Well, sir, may I ask you about this particular abstract? Yes, they're These mainly are... impressionistic, post-impressionistic, yes. pre-impressionistic, and impressionistic. <laughs> yes, this one is more of a... An academician type of painting. No, it's not. Well, for instance, it's very graphic. It's very graphic. Yes, it's, it's it, very graphic. The, it's very graphic. The, 
It's a draftsman-like quality. The spaghetti looks like spaghetti. The limp salad looks like limp salad. And the garlic oh, bread oh, looks oh, like garlic bread. Oh, oh, no. That's not a picture. That's my supper. <laughs> I, I, it happens to be resting on a frame and in my easy. Oh. Uh, that's my dinner. I eat that. Oh, I'm sorry, yes. sir. It looks... Do you like... Wait a minute. Do you really like it? Well, it is. Do you think it looks like the a, composition a is collage rather, of... Uh, yes, I thought it was thickly painted. I tell you what. <laughs> if you really like it, I can lacquer it up and give it to you for $40. No, I'm afraid, I'm no. afraid I wouldn't want to take your, deprive right. you of your supper, sir. How about just a coffee and cake? <laughs> Maybe not for $20. No, sir. Give I'm... me a dollar and a half for the coffee. <laughs> sir, I'm really not interested. Give me 40 cents you can have. All right, here's 40 cents, sir. All right. Thank you very much. Here's the much. coffee and cake. Nice working with you. <laughs> yes. I hope you come in again. I will, sir. God bless your can tie. I... I don't want the coffee. No, sir. you want the picture with the flies? No, you just keep Give it. me a dime. <laughs> you can have it. I kill more flies. What the hell is it? <laughs> All right. Goodbye.
Chopin's Waltz in C-sharp minor, opus 64, number two, performed by Garrick Olson. And before that, we heard In a Coffee House from an early recording of Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks. Up next, we're going to hear their most famous recording during that period called The 2,000-Year-Old Man. About four days ago, a plane landed at Idlewild Airport. The plane came from the Middle East, bearing a man who claims to be 2,000 years old. He spent the last six days at the Mayo Clinic. <laughs> Sir, is it true that you are 2,000 years old? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, yes. You are too, uh, it's hard to believe, sir, because in the history of man, nobody's ever lived more than 167 years as their man from Peru would claim to be. But you claim to be 2,000. Yes, I'll be, I'm not yet. I'll, <laughs> I'll be uh, 2000, October 16th. <laughs> yes. You will be 2000. Where, when were you born? We uh, didn't have uh, formal years and names and, and writing. We didn't know. I see. And what? Nobody kept time then. See, we didn't know, we didn't write, we just sat around, we pointed in the sky, and we said, whoa, hot toy, you know? That's all you said? We didn't even know it was the sun, we thought. <laughs> you mean you really didn't know we anything? We didn't know anything. We were so dumb and stupid. Sir. We didn't know who was a lady. <laughs> but they were. Oh, they was with us. We but didn't know who they were. <laughs> we didn't know who was the you, ladies and who was fellas. You, you thought know? it was they were just different type of yes, fellas. Yes, stronger or smaller or yeah, softer. The softer ones, I think, were ladies all the time. <laughs> well, what, what? How did you find out that they cute, were ladies? A cute, fat guy could who could have mistaken him for Soft and cute. Who was the person who discovered the female? Bernie. <laughs> Who was Bernie? Bernie, one of the first leaders of, the, of our group. And he discovered the female. Yes. How did that happen? He How said, did it come hey, to pass? There's, there's ladies here. <laughs> I'm very interested to find out how Bernie discovered the woman. Well, he... How he, did it come to pass? He, one morning, he got up smiling. <laughs> so, he said, I think there's ladies here. <laughs> so I said, what do you mean, you know? So he said, because in the night, I was thrilled and delighted, see? <laughs> so then he went into such a story that uh, it's hundreds of years later, I still blushed. Sir, uh, could you give us the secret of your longevity? Well, the major thing, the major thing is that I never, ever touch fried food. <laughs> I, I don't eat it, I wouldn't look at it, and I don't touch it. And, and they uh, never run for a bus, there'll always be another. Even if, even if you're late from work, you know, I never run for a bus, I never ran, I just strolled jaunty, jolly, walking to the bus stop, you know? Yeah, well, there were no buses in the time no, of uh, in my Iraq. in my time, I mean, I... I what was the means of transportation then? Mostly fear. Fear transported you? Fear, yes. You would see an animal would, would growl, you would go two miles in a minute. But I suppose you had... Fear would be the main propulsion. Yes, but I think most people are interested in living a long and fruitful life as yes. you have. You mentioned... Fruit is good, too. You mentioned fruit. Yeah. Fruit it? kept me going for 140 years once when I was... 
I was on a very strict diet, mainly nectarines. I love that fruit. It's a half a peach, half a plum. Such a hell of a fruit. I love it. Not too cold, not too hot, you know, just nice. What has been Even your... a rotten one is good. That's how much I love them. I'd rather eat a rotten nectarine than a fine plum. What do you think of that? I can understand that. Yes, that's how much I love them. Yes, I can understand that. Yes, yes. Sir? Some good things. Sir, what yeah. did you do for a living? Well, many years ago, thousands of years ago, there was no heavy industry. We know that. The most uh, things that we manufactured or we made, the most things that we ever made was uh, we would make, uh, take a piece of wood, see, and rub it and, and rub it and clean it and look at it and hit earth with it and hit a tree with it. For what purpose? Just to keep busy. There was nothing. <laughs> there was absolutely nothing to do. We had no jobs, don't you? What see? other jobs were there? There must have been something else beside hitting a tree with a no, piece of that, stick. No, that well, hitting a tree with a piece of stick was already a good job. <laughs> you couldn't get that job, you know. What job? Mainly, was sitting and looking in the sky was a big job, and another job was watching each other was one thing. <laughs> that was light work, looking at each other. Uh, what uh, language did you speak at that They spoke uh, uh, rock, basic rock. Basic rock, yeah. that was before Hebrew. Yeah, it was 200 years before Hebrew, it was the rock language or rock talk. Could you give us an example yes. of that? Uh, hey, uh, put that, don't throw that rock at me. Put that rock at me. <laughs> hey, now what are you doing with that rock there? Call a policeman, for God's sake. Closing time, closing time, closing time, closing time. 
Closing out the show, appropriately enough, with Leonard Cohen's Closing Time. I love that last verse. Well, we're drinking and we're dancing and there's nothing really happening. And the place is dead as heaven on a Saturday night. 
and my very close companion gets me fumbling, gets me laughing. She's a hundred, but she's wearing something tight. It reminds me of my son and daughter-in-law on a trip to Paris spotting a woman with a walker wearing five-inch heels. Folks, thanks for listening. Hope you've enjoyed the show. This is Joe Weber saying so long from the Voice of the Arts. Thank you.